2: You know, no well-spun web of flimsy theory can budge a person who, with conviction, can say, this one thing I know. As we go through life and we see Jesus at work in our life doing things that have no other explanation except that God has intervened, we can hold to those things and we can say, this one thing I know.
1: And welcome again to Church of the Highlands broadcast outreach called Study Verse by Verse with Senior Pastor Leighton Sheely. I'm Mike Trout, and he's in the book of John talking about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And we're in Chapter 10 of the book of John. If you'd like to find out more about this ministry and perhaps join with us financially, we're a nonprofit outreach. Go to the website, studyversebyverse.com. That's
2: studyversebyverse.com. So the Pharisees are now stopped dead in their tracks with the indisputable testimony of the man. They have no way to advance their arguments, so they back up and they they cover the same ground that they've covered previously. They say, well, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? And perhaps they were hoping that this time around that the man might say something that contradicted his testimony before, and and that would then devalue his testimony as a reliable witness. They They were trying to see if he could get him to contradict himself. Or Perhaps they were hoping that as he expanded that they might hear something that they could use against Jesus. And the man, understood, he understood their repeated questioning, their obvious bias. He said, I told you already you didn't listen. Why, why do you want to hear it again? And then he said rather sarcastically, would you, would you like to hear it again so that you can also become his disciple? Um, you note the word Also because at this point this man has now identified himself as a disciple of Jesus, though he doesn't know Jesus face to face yet. Now his rebuke and his wit uh, struck a nerve with those arrogant religious leaders, and they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. If you, an uneducated beggar, want to follow someone like a like an outcast sinner like Jesus, then that's your choice. But we follow Moses. God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Well, God did speak to Moses. But it's interesting that they would say here, we don't know where he comes from because in the previous arguments, they knew where Jesus came from. He came from Nazareth. That was one of their arguments against him, right? Because the Messiah wasn't supposed to come out of Nazareth and they didn't know he was actually born in Bethlehem, which is where the Messiah was supposed to come out of. But here, they say, we don't know where he's come from. That's what they had tried before had failed, so they were trying a new spin. Well, we don't know where he comes from. And the beggar's response here is devastating. Why, oh, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. In the King James, it's a marvelous thing. NIV, it's remarkable. Amplified, new revised, astonishing. Phillips, extraordinary. And what what this guy is saying is, this is the really astonishing thing, that you can persist in your unbelief in the face of an obvious miracle. That's what's really astonishing here. You religious experts can't even work out a simple thing like this. Let me help you. And so he matches their we know with a we know of his own. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would, would you teach us? And they cast him out. So this humble beggar now proceeds to give a lecture to the arrogant religious leaders of the nation. And he responds with a logic. His major premise is that God does not hear sinners, but if someone is God-fearing and does God's will, then God hears them. Now the fact that God does not hear the prayers of evil men is a, a fundamental theme that is woven throughout the Old Testament. When Job was speaking of the hypocrite, he says, Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? The psalmist said, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm 66, Isaiah hears God say to the sinning people, When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Isaiah chapter 1, Ezekiel says of the disobedient people, Though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Ezekiel 8. Conversely, the Scriptures tell that the prayer of a good man is always heard by the Lord. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Psalm 145, He fulfills the desires of all who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Proverbs 15, the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. And by the way, this is a lesson for us. If we're praying and it doesn't seem like the prayers are getting through... Maybe there's something in our life that's displeasing to God we need to address and get rid of that's impeding our prayers. Well, man's argument was based on Scripture. He said, Jesus has done this wonderful thing, and the fact that he has done it means that God hears him. Now, God never hears the prayers of an evil man. Therefore, Jesus cannot be evil. God obviously listens to Jesus because... God gave Jesus the power to do something that was unheard of in the history of the world since the beginning of time—to open the eyes of a person that was born blind. And then he draws this conclusion. He says, "If this man Jesus were not from God, he could do nothing." And the Pharisees were unable to resist the irresistible logic of this man, and they were outraged that he would presume to lecture them, the religious leaders of the nation. And so they started heaping abuse on him. They said, you were born entirely in sins, and you are trying to teach us? With sarcasm and scorn, they, they attacked him with an ad hominem attack. Remember, we talked about that. When somebody is in a debate and they lose the ability to argue logically, they will resort to name-calling or using emotionally charged concepts. The idea is distract from the argument because they've lost the argument. And that was what was taking place here. As you've been blind from birth, that means either you or your parents sinned grossly. And so they put him out of the synagogue. They had, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they had before them living evidence of the power of Jesus Christ. Irrefutable evidence. And they had irrefutable evidence that Jesus was a good man, that God listened to him. And yet they rejected Jesus. They were spiritually blind and they wanted to continue in their spiritual blindness. The lesson to us is you cannot argue anyone into the kingdom of God. If someone wants to reject Jesus, I don't care how good you debate, I don't care how strong your points are, they will dismiss any evidence, any logic anything that would disturb their conclusion. You know, sometimes we get angry at people who are spiritually blind. We get, why can't you see this? I put the dots next to each other. Why can't you connect the dots? And we get angry at them for being spiritually blind. We need to remind ourselves that they are spiritually blind. They are spiritually dead. According to Ephesians chapter 2, And we need to treat them like somebody who's blind. You don't get angry at somebody who's blind who cannot see. We need to pray that God opens their spiritual eyes and brings spiritual life where there's only spiritual death and spiritual light where there's only spiritual darkness. The Apostle Paul said, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. An appraisal establishes value. They are spiritually valued. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So physical sight was not the only thing that the Lord was planning to bless this undeserving beggar with, he wanted to give something even more precious and more amazing, and that is spiritual sight. Throughout the scripture, blindness is used metaphorically to describe fallen mankind's inability to comprehend divine truths. Isaiah referred to the people who are blind even though they have eyes. Jeremiah described the foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see Isaiah also portrayed the corrupt spiritual leaders of Israel as watchmen who are blind, all of whom know nothing. And the only cure for spiritual blindness is saving faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies, the the Savior, the promised Savior that God would send. And he fulfilled those prophecies. The people who walk in darkness, said Isaiah, will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. In Isaiah 49, 6, God has said of the Messiah, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And Jesus applied these prophecies of the Messiah, the Savior, concerning to himself. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Now, you notice it was when Jesus heard that they had put him out of the synagogue, synagogue that Jesus went to find him. That Jesus took the initiative. You remember at the beginning of the chapter it was Jesus who took the initiative. And that's the point that if God does not take the initiative in our salvation and in our relationship, then no sinner could be saved because the sinners sinners do not have the capacity to initiate salvation in any fashion. Romans three says, There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understand, there's none who seek for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And then he told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So salvation depends upon God taking the initiative because of his sovereign grace and love towards us.
1: Those words put me in mind of a preacher friend of mine from many years ago, Bob Benson, who would get tears in his eyes when he thought about the fact that I did not choose you, meaning Bob did not choose God, but God chose him. You're listening to Study Verse by Verse. We've wrapped up the week here in Chapter 10 of the Book of John, and Pastor Leighton will continue from this point on the next edition of the program on Monday. I hope you can join us Details about the church are on the web at Highlands.us. That's Highlands.us. We'd love to see you on a Sunday. And let us know that you listened to the broadcast. Have a great weekend. And join us on Monday at the same time when Pastor Layton will open the Word of God. And we will study, once again, verse by verse.